0: In the previous episode, we met Emma Pemberton and Samuel Hartshorn, who were involved in an alleged outrage at the Antelope Inn in Newcastle-under-Lyme in 1895. We followed Emma's life and gained an insight into her background and circumstances. In this episode, we focus on Samuel Hartshorn, but some of it won't make a lot of sense if you haven't listened to the first episode, so I suggest you go and listen to that episode first. When Samuel Hartshorn's wife, Emma, was buried, she was noted as the wife of Samuel Hartshorn, indicating he was still alive. But where was he? Mm. I'm sorry to say, David, that despite the article titled Alleged Outrage by a Walsall Man, Samuel wasn't actually from Walsall.
1: Oh, my God, he's an imposter. Mm. He was actually from Wolverhampton. Oh, in hell! What bit?
0: Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it just <Yeah>. says Wolverhampton.
1: <laughs> the middle bit, then. <laughs> Somewhere in Wolverhampton.
0: <laughs> so, why do you think they may have been, or well, he may have been confused as a Walsall man? Was it his demeanour? His
1: accent? Yeah, his his lust for a, a fight? assumed <laughs> he was from Walsall, because he didn't speak exactly like somebody from
0: Newcastle under Lyme, probably. Perhaps. Yeah, because the fact he, he ran off as well by the time at the time that article was written, that he hadn't been brought into custody. So it's not like he said, I'm from Walsall.
1: Yeah, um, this is me from Walsall again.
0: Or maybe he told people he was from Walsall so that they didn't know well, about it.
1: Yeah.
0: So Samuel mm-hmm. was born in Wolverhampton. And he was the son of a tin healer.
1: A tin healer? Is that somebody who puts tin ales on the shoes?
0: Tin, oh, oh, I thought that. No, spelled H-E-A-L-E-R.
1: Well, I don't know what that is in. Somebody who uses tins of brains to heal people.
0: The best I could gather, I couldn't really find a specific tin healer, but I think there is um, the term healing is used in metalwork to say, like, you're healing metal, maybe like if there's scratches or dents or something. I think they're fixing the surface, Ooh. perhaps, or something like that. I'm not sure if, if anyone knows or has a better uh, description of a tin healer. Was. No, please let me know. I'm interested. I, All
1: right. The opposite of what I said.
0: Samuel's mother died when he was about 11. And in the eighteen eighty one census, he and his father were living in his older brother George's home. His father was listed as ill on club
1: box, which was (laughs) (laughs) was that his name, (laughs) Elon Clubbox?
0: No, that was his occupation under the in the occupation column. ill on club box, and that possibly means it was a kind of a pension scheme his father had paid into. So he wasn't working, he was he was ill, uh, but he's receiving money from this pension scheme.
1: People thing. used to say when I was a kid in Warsaw, people would say if you was on the sick from work, they would say he was on the box. Really? Yeah. They must be referring to this then. Yeah, well I didn't never I didn't even remember that until you've just said that, like so
0: oh, oh it's it's mental because yeah. I, I was like, what the hell? and went to like trying to figure out what it meant. And I knew a bit about like old pension schemes. Mm. Yeah, where workers would just kind of put in for themselves. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well that that's what um, that's what people used to say. It's on the box. Oh,
0: how interesting. How cool. Oh that term lasted a long time then. Right. In December 1886. Samuel joined the Royal Artillery of the British Army.
1: Yeah, hardcore. Hardcore, yeah. Not, not mortal man joining the Royal Artillery.
0: <laughs> yeah, pretending. <laughs> Surely, Samuel is going to rise to the top of the military.
1: Let's hope so, eh?
0: Yeah, we have faith in Samuel. His enlistment papers give us a description of him. So, at the time, he was 18 years old and one month old right. he was he was five feet four inches tall so uh, only pretty, one
1: pretty
0: in- one inch taller than me mm. and he weighed 121 pounds and his chest measured 34 and a half inches he had brown hair hazel eyes and a fresh complexion no distinctive oh. marks Fresh complexion, it's hard to find an actual definition of that, but I think it just basically means it looks healthy, doesn't look ill. Normal English mm. complexion. <laughs> Someone who's not got jaundice. I'm not sure. I can't well, even It is weird, it's... fresh complexion. Yeah. You think of. Somebody is a bit
1: like, I don't know.
0: I'm thinking like flushed cheeks, but that's yeah, not but, being
1: uh, no. what it
0: means. like if you think yeah, the air, oh, it's a bit fresher here. But also, the other term they used to use that wasn't fresh skin was like a sallow complexion. And it's hard to find a description of that as well, but you can imagine that kind of, I don't know, maybe not such healthy looking skin. A
1: bit bit like yellowy and greasy. Mm. But I don't know if that's right. Neither do I, to be fair. mm, mm.
0: Well, his service papers make for some interesting reading. Oh, yeah. In July of eighteen eighty nine, so about three years after he joined the army, his rank was driver.
1: Right. Doesn't so so much of a progression, does it?
0: No, it's basically the same as a private, but it was used in the Royal Artillery for the men who drove the teams of horses which pulled the guns.
1: Oh uh, okay. Yeah,
0: but he's essentially the normal army rank of private yeah, regular. Not
1: Trust him with a gun, so i just <laughs> drive a car. <laughs> Perhaps. So July
0: 1889, his rank was driver. Two weeks later, Samuel deserted.
1: I oh, believe now, where did he go? Where was yeah. he when he deserted?
0: Don't know. I'm not sure what happened. Don't know if he got caught or returned voluntarily. But the following year on Boxing Day, so he's been gone about a year and a half, he rejoined and was awaiting trial. He was tried, yeah. of desertion I presume, and convicted on the 16th of January 1891 and forfeited all his former service. So, presumably that was with regard yeah, so to pension. Get any
1: of his, um, yeah.
0: yeah, so none of that counted. So, I guess that was the punishment. So, yeah, you deserted, you lose all that. But he's he's rejoined the army. A few months later, he deserted again.
1: He just don't know what he wants.
0: <laughs> he deserted on tenth of April and rejoined the following day. So what? I don't
1: know where he I don't get it.
0: I don't get it, was just it a mis- unless it was a mistake on the order forms, or maybe yeah, maybe he just went AWOL for the night or something. Yeah. Where's he
1: gone? He's, oh, he's probably deserted again. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: ten days later, he was again tried and convicted of desertion, and all his former service was forfeited. What, well, again? Mm-hmm.
1: For <laughs> well, his... Well, well,
0: <laughs> yep. So he was in prison again on the 21st of April, 1891, and then the army decided that they'd had enough, and he was discharged with ignominy a week later.
1: Ignominy. Uh,
0: is that how he sounded?
1: Well, yeah, well, I don't know what it means. We're just like not recognised as doing anything ever.
0: Very uh, shameful conduct. Yeah. A bit like a dishonourable discharge. Yeah. So it was discharged with the ignominy a week later, and you guessed it, forfeited his service all seven days of it, and his character very was described as very bad.
1: Very bad. <laughs> What was he doing?
0: Well, he just kept leaving, deserting. You can't trust someone, you can't trust a soldier that keeps oh, it's... deserting
1: you. No, I suppose not. I mean, his character is not defined by keep deserting, is it? Or is he? I don't know. In the army? I've not been. <laughs> I, I,
0: I'm not sure, but I, I think they wanted the men to stay, and it showed that he wasn't going to follow orders too well, I think, if he kept deserting. But he'd already oh, been in course. the army for three years before yes. he started
1: deserting. Did nobody so. ask him what the matter was?
0: <laughs> right, well <laughs> Well, if you turn a couple of pages in his papers, his army papers, his service record, you see his medical mm-hmm. record. Okay, right. so if you remember, he joined in December 1886. By September the next year, he was being treated for gonorrhea,
1: uh, <laughs>
0: yeah. What do you know of gonorrhea?
1: It's uh, seeping and that, eh? It's horrible.
0: Yeah, it's it's um sexually transmitted disease. Oh
1: so well, it, yeah, obviously. Yeah.
0: What was it? What's the other term they, they <coughs> call them? Venereal disease. Uh, in yeah. These days, and yeah, it's 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 not pleasant. That's I'm sure you can you can um, look it up in any other way, but it's it's. Not a pleasant and probably very uncomfortable state to be in.
1: Yeah, it looks horrible. I've seen pictures of it on the internet.
0: Yeah, possibly don't Google pictures. But anyway, he spent 13 days in the hospital and was discharged on September 17. He was readmitted on the 31st of September, so that's two weeks later, for gonorrhea. (laughs)
1: Again, he loves it, don't he? Gonorrhea, can't get enough.
0: He was treated with alkaline injection and spent 16 days in the hospital this time, uh, a little bit more than previous, and recovered. In April 1888, he's in hospital again for
1: gonorrhea.
0: No, rheumatism. Um, You think so, (laughs) Corey. <laughs> you think <laughs> you think so poorly of poor old Samuel, but no, this time he was in for rheumatism, seven days, so it was a bit less uh, severe than his gonorrhoea, obviously, which he was you know a lot longer for. July eighteen eighty eight, he's in again, and diagnosed with ulcer of penis.
1: Oh, good God, <laughs> mates! Where is it all this deserting? <laughs>
0: Well, he hasn't deserted yet.
1: Well, no, but I mean, oh, yeah, I don't know. Why. I mean, do you reckon he just kept going back because the gonorrhea kept playing up and he wanted the medical treatment?
0: Well, at this point, he hadn't deserted yet. So all oh. this is taking place before his desertions. <clears throat> but it may have played a part later on. But at this point, this is, I, don't, I guess, he's going and seeing some um, shady ladies.
1: And mm. um,
0: yeah, can't can't stay away. So do- ulcer of the penis It was in sixteen days for that. Then it was all good till February the next year, when he's in with gonorrhoea again.
1: Yay. <laughs> <He> was-
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, it was treated with silver injections.
1: Silver injections. Mm, oh, the in the they- donga. I presume so. Good. Um, God. How much were they then, I wonder? They were quite expensive.
0: I I don't know, you know, I never
1: thought about that. Do you reckon that's why in later life he took to robbing people for money? Oh, Oh, did he, though? No, (laughs) he went out robbing the money to get the silver injection so his knob didn't drop off.
0: Oh, God, I hope not. Now, the funny thing, when I looked into it, well and obviously based on this, you it you can cure it, like you can treat it and it will go away. But the fact that he keeps getting it, because I thought, oh, maybe it's once you've got it in your system, it just yeah. keeps resurfacing. But I think it, it you treat it, it goes away, but he just keeps doing whatever he's doing to get gonorrhea and um keeps getting reinfected. Maybe he's seen the same person every time. Maybe he's in love. Yeah,
1: is it gone? Yes. <laughs> It has definitely gone, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) Who said that last time? And look at this. (laughs) Oh, no.
0: Yeah, my my sergeant is suspecting something. Uh, (laughs) Treated with silver injections, as we said, and released after 22 days. So it does seem to be getting progressively worse. Like each time he's in, he seems to be spending a longer time in hospital. It's getting harder to cure
1: him. Mm.
0: All right, so that was February. The next month, he's in again with, you guessed it, gonorrhea.
1: (laughs) It can't be that bad, having gonorrhea, (laughs) to be fair, can it? I mean, (laughs) he don't care, does he? Yeah, I bothered. It can't be that bad. just keep going and getting it again. Yeah, I'm bothered, don't care about
0: it. Yeah, obviously, like, oh, they'll just fix me up in the hospital, get out of serving, That's that's it. Guys and gets gonorrhea. gets um gonorrhea. and, yeah, away, you
1: down and then I right, don't yeah, have
0: to go do I don't have to go on guard duty. I've got gonorrhea. I'm going to lay in this cushy hospital bed,
1: yeah. getting
0: my injections.
1: Yeah, Sam, there's no worry coming. Oh, well, it would. But... <laughs> got <this> gonorrhea again. <laughs> oh, tut <laughs> tut. <top, top. laughs> <laughs> gonorrhea's flared up again. I can't come. <laughs>
0: This time, he was treated with zinc injections. So yeah, let's roll it. That's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I mean, We're not going to waste the good stuff on him. He's just going to be back <laughs> again next month with gonorrhea. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Try this stuff that looks a bit silvery instead.
0: I wonder why every time they're treating him in a different way. I wonder if you can only use the same treatment once or something. I don't know. I don't. I don't know enough about gonorrhea <clears> treatment, and I don't care. To know don't that say much. <laughs>
1: Anybody at that time know about gonorrhea treatment? Neither does it since injection with all different metals. <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> Let's try
0: let's try this. We'll make him make him super like like some kind of armour plating so he won't get gonorrhea.
1: Again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well what I used to inject people with I used to use was it mercury? Was it for um, syphilis mm. Yes. It's yes. Really mental wouldn't they people? So long.
0: Anyway, so zinc injections and then 33 days he was released. All right, I don't know whether this had any impact on his eventual decision to desert. He didn't desert until the next year, but he wasn't treated for gonorrhea again. <laughs> so that, oh, that was good. nice for him. <laughs> Maybe he finally learned his lesson. Maybe he, he thought, hang on a minute, I see what's going on here. Well, by uh, the <laughs>
1: the metals he got injected with, rendered him impotent, He couldn't go and get gonorrhea anymore. Go.
0: Or maybe <laughs> he thought, oh, I don't want to get gonorrhea again. I know what, I'll just desert. I'm just <laughs> we can actually see Samuel on the 1891 census, languishing in prison. He was imprisoned at the Aldershot Military Prison, which was nicknamed the Glass House because of its glass roof. Apparently that's a name that's become synonymous with all military prisons, but Aldershot was the first. Well done, Aldershot.
1: Yeah, I think there's only one left in Colchester. I think. I
0: think so, actually.
1: It's the last one. Right.
0: Hmm. It was a long, rectangular, three-storey brick building built 20 years previously to replace the wooden huts that they used to keep prisoners in. Each cell was about 12 feet long and 10 feet high, which for metric people, that's about three and a half meters long and three meters high. And it had a small window high up for fresh air. So it definitely wasn't any kind of picture window or any kind of view out to the outside world at all.
1: Unless you wanted to look angularly at the sky.
0: I think it was more there to let air in than anything else. Military prisoners seem to have been subjected to the same type of brutal labour that the prisoners in civil prisons had to do, like oakum picking. Do you know about oakum picking?
1: Is it picking oakums? What's an oakum? Picking oakums. I don't know, but like picking outcomes. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. I know nothing about it. No, I don't
0: know. Well, it actually came up in um, a previous episode, the Baddow Elopement, when my guest Claire's ancestor was held in prison in Chelmsford. So prisoners were given quantities of old rope, which they had to untwist into many separate strands. Oh, okay. Then they had to take these individual strands and unroll them. And they usually did that by rolling them on their knee and using their hands until the mesh became loose. And it was pretty hard on the hands. It wasn't pleasant
1: labour. Like a breaking rocks type of situation.
0: Yeah, pretty much. I think they used to, they had that in the civil prisons. They used to also have treadmills and things. It was just pointless labour just to make you, to break you essentially, make you feel miserable. I think at some point they made it more... um uh, what do you call it?
1: Bigger rope. <laughs> no, it's easier on the fingers.
0: At some point, they made it so that it was useful or beneficial labor, like they'd be employed in making things and stuff like that. But they still obviously had these tedious tasks to do. Uh, and I found an article that specifically references Aldershot making palais, palais cases. Palais, palais. Do you know that word? P A I L L A S S E. No. Yeah. It's basically straw mattresses.
1: Oh, what were they called? That? Oh, stupid.
0: I'm not sure. It's obviously a French word, mm. but that I think other prisons were in the pro, and there was mention of other prisons making like bolster cases, which is like pillows. And so they seem to be making a lot of the bedding for the army, for the military personnel. Oh, okay. So in the Glasgow Herald, 7th of October, 1889, said, the employment of military prisoners on work for the War Department, which was initiated in 1887, is still carried out. So this was about two years before Samuel was sentenced to prison. During the past year, there have been made at Brixton 1,650 Palais cases and 600 bed sackings and at Gosport, 26,000 bolster cases. The manufacture of Palais cases has been undertaken at Aldershot, Brixton, Gosport, Stirling, and Cork military prisons during the current year. The result of this will be, the inspector hopes, to diminish the number of prisoners who are employed at oakum picking after passing the first stage. So I guess maybe when they were first imprisoned, they were just given the really dodgy tasks.
1: Yeah they uh, just the judicial system was just spiteful idiots. So, didn't realize <laughs> what they could do. And so, yeah, it's so much shit. It's pointless. And then after, so hang on, missing out.
0: This prisoner's all right. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Give him a more um impressive task of making straw mattresses. Well, at the time Samuel was at Aldershot, each floor housed 75 prisoners. But on the night of the 1891 census, which was the 5th of April, there were 85 in the prison, including Samuel. 85 prisoners. Unfortunately, we will probably never really know why Samuel deserted. But I found a couple of articles about life in the army that may give us some insight. The St. James's Gazette published the following on the 15th of March, 1887, a few months after he enlisted. Too Abundant Diet in Military Prisons, is the heading. Right. An oldershot correspondent writes, Several commanding officers at this station are of opinion that the punishment inflicted on military offenders is too lenient and disproportionate to the nature and degree of the offences committed. They consider that the diet allowed in military prisons is so abundant and good that the majority of indifferent soldiers prefer passing their time in prison to taking part in field days, military training, and other arduous duties. They feel confident that a less liberal diet than is now allowed in military prisons would have a deterrent effect. As an instance of the pecuniary loss caused by bad characters to their captains, a colonel mentioned a soldier who is now undergoing imprisonment for the fourth desertion, by which a loss of seven pounds has been caused to the captain of his company. So they're saying they've got it too good. It's too easy in prison. So maybe, maybe Samuel Hartshorn thought, as we as we suggested, oh, I've just decided. Oh, I don't want to go. It's it's a lot easier. To get better food. Oh, I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, no, but it's, you still have to feed them properly because they're going to have to go out and fight a war again. After and you are going to be able to. They have some louder, skinny, half-dead people coming out of prison and going to fight a war.
0: Well, that's an excellent point. And on the same day as that little snippet I read out was published, the Echo in London offered a different point of view. Several commanding officers at Aldershot are of opinion that the diet in military prisons is too liberal. They allege that it is so abundant and good that the majority of indifferent soldiers prefer passing their time in prison. Does not this statement rather point to the fact that the diet of the soldier who is not in prison is neither so abundant and good as it might be?
1: that's a good point, Ed.
0: Exactly. The army estimates show that our army is by far the most expensive in Europe, but Tommy Atkins does not get the benefit of our liberal expenditure. Dry bread and cocoa for breakfast, without even a scrape of oleo margarine, is considered a sufficiently good
1: ration. Oh oil Margarine, do I still have that in it? Or is that something else? Is that Olivia?
0: I have heard of it. Heard of it. I think it's just maybe it's the type of oil, maybe oil margarine, I don't know. But all but like, they didn't even get that,
1: David. They got dry bread and cocoa for breakfast. What kind of a thing is that? Surely that's more expensive than dry bread and margarine. Well, margarine salt bread.
0: Well they'd have to buy the margarine.
1: is not cheap, is he?
0: I don't know. Maybe it was cheaper in those days. I can't imagine it was um, Mm. like a sweet cocoa. (laughs) No, No,
1: even even so, chocolate beans and whatnot and box.
0: Well, still, as you pointed out, they're going to have to try and fight an army on a bit of dry bread and cocoa. Yeah. You wouldn't survive with that. Anyway, only a few days ago, a private soldier wrote to a morning paper Complaining that very often the meat ration was little more than gristle and bone. Of course, no one wishes our soldiers to be pampered, <laughs> but in every <laughs> well, but but in every way the service sorry in every way the service needs to be made more popular so as to attract and keep a better class of men. Recently, we called attention to a sample of the monstrous punishments inflicted by courts martial where a man was sentenced to 18 months' hard labour for throwing his cap at an officer in a sudden outburst of anger.
1: Yeah, let's to do that, though, well, yeah, do you know what I mean? There's to be some kind of order. I'll go around throwing your clobber at the officers.
0: Of course not, but what I think they're saying is that 18 months' hard labour is a bit excessive for throwing a hat at an officer.
1: Or well, it been a very heavy hat.
0: <laughs> Maybe. Maybe we've been now led astray by this pampered man. The lack of all comfort and the prevalence of severe punishments keep out of the army the superior class of men whom commanding officers would be only too glad to attract. And of the men that are secured, in spite of the short time service, no less than 5,400 deserted last year. So Samuel Hartson wasn't alone. So this was 1887, I think I said. Right. Yeah, 1887. So just after Samuel joined, 5,400 men deserted the army
1: previous year. Everybody's at it.
0: Mm. As to excessive punishments, we know that the Duke of Cambridge has lately taken steps to correct the evil, but those who might become recruits only read the sentences passed by court's martial and never hear anything of the subsequent clemency of the Commander-in-Chief. So it sounds like maybe the Duke of Cambridge is going, hold on a minute, let's not be so tough. But they're not hearing that. They're just hearing the severe um, punishments.
1: Duke of Cambridge, bloody rubbish thing to be, nobody listens to it at all.
0: (laughs) The policy, which is now adopted at headquarters, must be enjoined upon officers generally if desertion is to become rare and the military service popular with young men. So overall, I think that person raises an excellent point. I mean, they're saying, oh, they've got it too good. The food's too good for them in prison. Then what's the food when you're not in prison like? exactly. Surely that's a bit bit stupid. The other thing I did come across was that when Samuel deserted, now this may or may not have anything to do with it, he was in the Royal Artillery, and the same month he deserted, they had a bit of a shake-up and the Royal Artillery became the Royal Field Artillery.
1: Right.
0: And at the time, he was based in Woolwich.
1: They make him go and live outside because they was moaning about the food. Is that why they became the Field Artillery?
0: Ha ha. No, ah. that's, that's, this is, well, this article is not specifically um, about the Field Artillery or the Royal Artillery. It's just about army in general. But what I'm trying to say is that he joined up, so the Royal joined up. I think a Newcastle upon Newcastle on Tyne. I think you say you? New, the other Newcastle, not underline.
1: Upon Tyne. Is it
0: upon or on? upon
1: Tyne? Newcastle <laughs> enlisted
0: upon Tyne. at Newcastle upon Tyne, Aye. and then he joined. They well, he requested. It seemed, or they immediately put him into the Royal Artillery, which was based in Woolwich, and then. At some point, whether it had already moved or there was talk, uh, it's kind of hard to figure out whether they were, I think they were still based at Wiltshire. maybe he didn't want to move to Aldershot because it seemed like maybe his unit, because his particular unit got renamed into something else. They may have been told they were going to move down to Aldershot or elsewhere, and he just may not have liked the idea Where of that. Where's Aldershot? what stuff this? Hampshire.
1: Okay. In the middle then? What's he marring about?
0: The prison itself is actually North Camp, near Farnborough. Right. But it's, I guess, close enough to Aldershot, all of that. But, yeah, so that may be another reason why we don't know. It just seemed a very big coincidence. I think, like, the 1st of July, they changed it to the field artillery, and he deserted the 16th of July.
1: Right, so it was like, bollocks this, I'm off. Mm, It
0: seems to be the case. But... As I keep saying, we just don't know. Whatever his reason for deserting may have been, he was discharged from the army with ignominy, or ignominy, so the public shame or disgrace that we mentioned in April of eighteen ninety-one. Samuel gave his intended place of residence as his brother's address in Wolverhampton, but somehow he managed to find his way to Newcastle under Lyme.
1: Not Warsaw then.
0: No, still not Warsaw. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where that came from. Um, Yeah, so Newcastle on find employment as an iron worker and he married our friend Emma Pemberton eight months later. Mm -hmm. So this brings us back to the outrage that happened in 1895. Mm. David, can you summarise what happened in
1: 1895? I can, but did he tell Emma about the gonorrhea incidents (laughs) Before I have no
0: idea. I hope so. Oh, oh, I don't know, but if it was cured, did he have to? But I, I'd like to know. <laughs>
1: mm.
0: like, I would like to be um prior previously informed. What do you call it?
1: I don't Party know. to the information.
0: Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd like to be informed. <clears> I think, but no, again, then again, I don't know. Would I then bother if he had got? Oh, t- who knows? Right. Anyway, mm. back to the outrage.
1: Yeah, the outrage was. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, well, Emma was being arrested for nicking some money off that geezer, mm-hmm. and um, Sam turns up, sees what's going on, knew it was a plain clothes police officer. Although, did he really? And <laughs> spat the bloke in the face and uh, run off, and she got arrested anyway.
0: So, yes, basically, Samuel was eventually caught, as we know, and he was sentenced to three years and sent to Parkhurst Prison,
1: which is oh, really? white, yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, you know, Parkhurst, you said, sound... oh, I know where Parkhurst Prison is on the island.
0: yeah, you sounded like you were hearing from an old friend.
1: <laughs> no, no, <I've... laughs> no, I've just uh, yeah, no,
0: no, no, no. no. I had to be fair, I had heard of it as well, from
1: somewhere, mm. and I. And
0: I did think, I don't know, it just seemed a long way. I guess guess Emma was sent to Liverpool and then he was sent to the Isle of Wight.
1: Yeah, well, when people get sent to prison, they don't have a choice where they go. I think it's just a
0: Okay, it's just where they've got space.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, you may remember that he didn't serve the full three years of his sentence. You may not remember. (laughs) I don't remember that. He didn't. He was let out a little bit earlier. And this brings me to the most fascinating
1: resource. Didn't want him in there because of all the gonorrhea. <laughs>
0: that, <laughs> oh, God. Where was he catching it from in prison? That's uh, he probably he really just patient
1: off. zero for gonorrhea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway. All right. Yes. So this brings me to the most fascinating resource. The Register of Habitual Criminals.
1: It's my new favourite thing. And where is that? What's that? What is it then?
0: Oh, good question. Fortunately, I have an answer. The Habitual Criminals Act of 1869 required that any person convicted of a felony and not sentenced to penal servitude be subject to police supervision for seven years to ensure that he or she was making an honest living. Under the Prevention of Crimes Act of 1871, any man released on a ticket of leave, a kind of parole system, could be brought before a magistrate and have his parole revoked if the police suspected his behaviour. They
1: still do that anyway. It's like a licence. It's called
0: Right. So the 1871 Act also required that registers be kept of every person convicted of a crime in Great Britain. Uh,
1: Okay.
0: That's thank you to the Open University. I took that definition from their webpage. The Habitual Criminal Register, or the Register of Habitual Criminals, was a record of every person convicted of a crime. I guess they were trying to see patterns. Also, I suppose if they commit a crime somewhere and go and commit it somewhere else, they have another record. I find it interesting as well when you look through them, all the different aliases um, and other names they use. And sometimes you think, oh, how many have they got away with by using another name if they've gone to a different area? As well? yeah. but it makes for fascinating reading. Well, Samuel Hartshorn was recorded in the Register of Habitual Criminals for the year 1895.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: His army enlistment papers, if you remember, said he was five feet, four inches tall. Yeah. The register, which also gives a description of all these people, I guess so they can
1: identify them for further crimes,
0: says that he was now five foot four and seven eighths
1: of an inch. Well, it's it's obviously got some bigger (laughs) shoes.
0: Well, it is eight years later. He was 18 when he was five foot four and now eight years later, he's now about 26 years old and
1: he's grown seven eighths of an inch. Uh, okay then. Okay then. Good on him. Uh, Big mm, Japanese yeah. now. <laughs> he may have shrunk. His
0: <laughs> eyes, his eyes, which were recorded as hazel, were now brown, but he still had brown hair and a fresh complexion.
1: Oh, but where fresh. he
0: once fresh exciting, but where he once had no distinctive marks, he now had a scar on his right forearm. A scar in the corner of his right eye, a scar on his thumb and two fingers of his left hand, as well as a burn scar on his foot. I think he obviously had a rough time in the army.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> he was pristine when he joined up.
1: It was, and, it was um, so fresh.
0: Yeah, he <laughs> was fresh
1: and uh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
0: he came in. They spat him out the other side. In uh, less than perfect condition. Right, so as we've said, he was released in April 1898, and the record states he intended to go back to Newcastle under Lyme and find employment as an iron worker. Unfortunately, Samuel pretty much falls off the face of the earth. We just don't know what happened to him after he got released from jail. I cannot find him on the 1901, 1911, or 1921 censuses. So, David, I throw it to you in your imagination. Do you have any suggestions what may have
1: happened to Samuel?
0: Keep it in mind that for some reason, a few years after, he was not with his lovely wife.
1: Well, he probably, I don't know, maybe pursued a more productive life, giving everybody gonorrhea or something. (laughs) Or maybe he just turned into a big ball of gonorrhea and exploded.
0: I think the man is more than his gonorrhea. Would you
1: say that? More <laughs> than his illness. Gonorrhea, not maketh the man.
0: But remember, we've said he, he he was cured.
1: Yeah, I know, But are you ever cured if people find out? <laughs> well,
0: like he's got the mark.
1: Yeah, oh, being... <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, He had gonorrhea for loads like, of times for ages. I him a lot. go near him.
0: But I think you're onto something, though. Like. Despite being on the habitual criminal register, he didn't appear to actually be convicted of any other crime.
1: Mm. So maybe it was really, it? maybe it was Emma. What, Emma leading him? him?
0: Leading him astray.
1: Oh, maybe yeah.
0: Yeah, it would have been. Oh, uh, killed him.
1: Don't know, you?
0: Well, we do know because I know that uh. he was not dead at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I just have not been able to find him up to 1921. Mm. The only mention I could find of him after 1897 was on the 1939 register. And he was recorded on Union Street, Hanley in Stoke-on-Trent. It seems seems to be some kind of boarding house. So he obviously didn't make millions. (laughs) He still led a a humble life.
1: He Mm. appears to be
0: a peddler. He's recorded as a peddler. And he would have now been 70 years old.
1: All right, so that was the, that was a record of him then.
0: Yes. So between 1897 and 1939, I have no idea what happened to him, where he was, what he did. I don't know if he changed his name or or if it was just mistranscribed, but it's not through want of trying. I looked for well, But that's so a good places. age
1: to live to, isn't it? At least yeah. you've a record of him, and we well, when know the... that he lived to that age.
0: Well, yeah, Emma died when she was 38. Samuel died. Two years after the nineteen thirty nine register was taken, in nineteen forty one.
1: So, so, what did Emma Doyle?
0: Uh, we don't know. I don't know. She was just. I've just have a burial record. I, yeah. I didn't order her death certificate because I'm um, notoriously cheap. Mm. <laughs> maybe I should, and maybe I'll up- update everybody. Maybe I will and add it to the end of this podcast. But yeah, I'm not sure. I think her death would probably be a bit more interesting than Samuel's, since he seemed to die of Yeah, 38. young, isn't it? Mm. In the prime of her life, getting drunk with Marianne Heath every day, matching each yeah. other cupful for cupful.
1: Yeah, Or not, um, as the story went. <laughs> well, no, they Heath. were. It was a lightweight.
0: Well, yeah, but they were matching each other. She just could handle it better, was what she was implying.
1: I know, but I mean, um, <laughs> Emma didn't stop after Marianne was unconscious on the floor. Do you know what I mean?
0: <laughs> probably Marianne
1: not. Probably, yeah. Marianne probably woke up and was like, "Oh, what's happened to all the <laughs> happened to all the bows?" And Emma was like, oh, "I don't know what you mean." You yeah,
0: know, there was a man came in. Oh no, she probably yeah, blamed yeah. it on David Bentley. And that's why she had it in for him so much.
1: <laughs> probably. Or she was Smacking like, shut up, Marianne. I've got this crippling gonorrhea from somewhere. <laughs> I need to drink all this. Oh,
0: right. Perhaps. So final thoughts on Samuel
1: Hartshorn. Well, I don't know, really. I mean, it, it probably had more interesting life than we've scratched on the surface, really, didn't it? Cause he? Because in, in um, he was in the army for a while. Mm-hmm. I've gone a real load of times, you don't get that for being <laughs> boring from staying at video. home. Yeah, <laughs> just watching the not telly. You know what mm. I mean? So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, she's probably a lot more about... interesting of a person than we can find out about. And how or about
0: Emma? Emma Pemberton, his wife.
1: Well, she also is quite interesting, isn't she? Mm.
0: I, do. I do I wish have. I probably. could find out what happened to their relationship, like I guess three years is a long time to be away from each other. I don't know. May, maybe they couldn't find each other again once they got out. But you'd think so. But it wasn't
1: – I think
0: they probably knew of each other and where they were. Like,
1: I mean, Newcastle on the is not that big now. So back no. then it would have been really small. So if Emma was still there, he could have found it out probably.
0: Well, where she'd moved to – was it Stone? I think was um, 1895. Well, that's even smaller, 1795?
1: I think. Stone. Oh, right. It's even smaller than –
0: Yeah, but you'd have to know she went to Stone to find her first, wouldn't it? And then was it Stone as well? So I think maybe it was Emma doing the moving around. But then again, I can't find Samuel in the censuses, so he may have moved elsewhere. Who knows? But it's young, young star-crossed lovers.
1: To be fair, I've only been to Stone once and Newcastle-under-Lyme once as well. And my knowledge of how big the towns are is probably not the best to go on. So. Well, Not fair enough. But
0: I would imagine in those days it was would have been smaller
1: than it is now, at least. Oh. Yeah, but, but... Uh, imagine having all that gonorrhea and then living to be 70.
0: <laughs> oh, oh I don't know. The thing is I kind of want to know more, but then I also don't want to know more about gonorrhea and its effects. It's, I think.
1: Mm. I think It'd um... be nice to know more about him and there she died, but then mm. – Not if nothing happened, you know what I mean. Might have just lived a really boring life.
0: Perhaps, but I find it interesting that we're able to find out as much as we did.
1: Might have been Jack the Ripper. Ooh,
0: no! That was what that was was that eighteen eighty eight. Jack the Ripper. Um, Okay. Well, yeah, maybe, but it's unlikely. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining me again, David. Yeah. Hopefully I'll I'll see you back, perhaps with more entries from the Register of Habitual Criminals.
1: All right, yeah, we'll do that then. Yeah, it'd be brilliant. We're find out about more gonorrhea in the past <laughs> of a different <laughs> but, or, variety.
0: or perhaps, what do, what do they say on the BBC? Other venereal diseases are available.
1: <laughs> yeah, don't just stick with gonorrhea.
0: Okay, thank you, everybody. Yeah. Bye. All right, bye. You might like to follow me on social media. I often post updates and extra bits of information about the stories and people we've discussed on these episodes. Till next time!